So we are in Revelation Lesson 7. We're in the last two chapters of the book, which deals with the eternal state. So there's going to be a new creation that we need to look at, and that's what we are primarily focused on tonight, is this new creation. So verses 1 and 2, we're going to see three new things. Um, these won't be, by any means, the last new things that we see, uh, but these set up essentially the foundation of this new creation, the primary elements uh, in which God is going to um, fill, just as he did the first creation. Uh, we see the creative days in Genesis 1. Um, we have essentially that here in Genesis or in Revelation 21. We have a creative day in which God creates a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, just as he had the heavens and the earth, and then he planted the Garden of Eden. Arnold Fruchtenbaum says of these last two chapters, while the millennial kingdom is the high point of Old Testament prophecy, the eternal order is the high point of New Testament prophecy. And why he says that is because the Old Testament points Israel towards their kingdom in which all of the promises of God towards Israel will be fulfilled. Now, the only issue there remaining is that some of the promises God made to Israel are eternal promises. So their entire establishment will occur during the millennial kingdom, and then the eternal state will see those orders continue, um, but in a different plane, you might say. The eternal state was not revealed in the Old Testament, though there's indications that the world itself would pass away, and that does occur, the actual features and facets of this um, coming eternal order after the kingdom um, are not described in the Old Testament. So Revelation 21 and 22 becomes particularly important uh, because we get a feel of the actual um, cosmo or cosmological system that God is going to replace this current one with. So we start then with a new creation and the creation of a new heaven. In Revelation 21.1, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Now, the issue of a new heaven uh, begs the question, which heaven is new? Is it all three heavens? Is it just two of the heavens, or is it just one of the heavens? Uh, because scripture does mention three heavens, and it describes three heavens, although quite often, and especially in the book of Revelation, little to no distinction is made uh, between these heavens. For example, in Revelation 4, we see John standing on the island of Patmos, looking up into the sky, the first heaven. Uh, we see him see an open door, and he says, in heaven. But then when he moves into the heavenly realms, the third heaven, he describes the throne of God in heaven. He makes no verbal distinction between this transition from um, the heaven compared to earth being the atmosphere and heaven compared to creation being the third heaven. So here we've got a little illustration where we've got the third heaven, the throne room of God. We've got the second heavens, uh, which may indicate the uh, outer space and the first heaven, the atmosphere over the earth. These generally seem to be the distinctions that scripture makes um, regarding these three heavens. Revelation 20, 11, we saw both the earth and the heaven flee away. 
Uh, Revelation 20, 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. As we'll see as we go through the study tonight, this great white throne had to be set up outside of the current creation that we saw come into existence in Genesis 1. And so this heaven and earth was something outside of that creation that that fled, no place was found for them anymore. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2, uh, Paul, speaking somewhat cryptically of himself, uh, probably for reasons of humility, said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know or out of body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. So he speaks of a vision or a revelation that he was given in which he was actually carried away either in spirit or in body into the third heaven or the throne room of God. Uh, we see uh, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel has a similar experience. Isaiah has a similar experience. Uh, Daniel and John. This is um, this visions into the third heaven uh, occur somewhat frequently with prophets. Uh, Bedag, which is one of the uh, more useful uh, Greek and Hebrew lexicons makes a distinction here between uh, two different kinds of heaven. One is a portion of the created universe, and the other is the transcendent abode of God's throne. Um, uh, a Greek grammar called BDF uh, distinguishes or makes this distinction that says the portion of created universe is usually referred to in scripture in the singular, where the transcendent abode of God is often spoken of in the plural. So we have someone speaking of heaven, and this is usually the sky or um, outer space. But then that transcendent abode in which God's throne is, uh, the biblical writers will often speak of this as the heavens. Um, so the portion of created universe, this would be the firmament or the atmosphere, perhaps um, the location of the stars as well or outer space. Well, the transcendent abode of God um, has his throne in it, his own dwelling place where the angels abide um, and where all the post-cross dead are um, presently found. This also is the originating location of Jesus the Messiah. He, he is the Messiah from heaven. Oftentimes we'll see Jesus who came from heaven. It's not speaking of outer space, but of this uh, third heaven, the transcendent abode of God's throne, which stands outside of this order of creation. Created things are there, but it's, it's of a different order. And so we do have two uh, distinctions then. One is God's universal throne. Um, and this is heaven or the heavens, and it is God's eternal abode. When we see God uh, for the first time in Revelation chapter four, he is seated on his eternal throne and he is uh, handing out the, uh, the title deed to this creation, this earth, um, for the mediator to take, which is Jesus Christ. And that is the mediatorial throne that God created for the purpose of a man to rule over. So the mediatorial throne is the heavens and earth of this present created order. So that would be um, the earth, the atmosphere, outer space, all of that. We see that at man's fall, all of this creation was affected by his fall. Uh, Romans 8 speaks to that. 
where man was placed in charge of God's created order and man fell and therefore everything under man's charge also shared in his judgment. Um, not just the things on this earth, but the things in the atmosphere. And um, again, as Romans would indicate, the entire creation, including planets we haven't even visited, uh, these were all created in some uh, manner or other under man's mediatorial control for the purpose that Jesus Christ would become a man and rule over this creation. Uh, but this creation is distinct from God's universal throne. That has always existed. It has um, always been a part of God's existence. And so when we see heaven uh, fleeing away, we are not speaking of the throne room of God or the domain of God. Only those things which were created for man to rule over um, are fleeing away because of man's sin and the corruption that came to them because of it. So here in Genesis 1.1, this is the heavens and the earth that is disappearing here in Revelations uh, 20 verse 11. Uh, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, it is this created sphere under this created order that disappears. In 1 Corinthians 15.47, we read that man is from the earth earthly. The second man is from heaven. This is then speaking of the third heaven. It's Christ's origin is from outside of this creation, um, and he has come into this creation. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly, and as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So we have the image of a different creation already imprinted on us in our identity with Christ. Romans 8.19 says, The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, revealing that portion of us which is from a different created order. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So this creation was also uh, subjected to man's judgment uh, at the time that the curse was handed down for the purpose that it would someday pass away, uh, that this corruption would be uh, permanently done away with, and that's the transition that has happened between Revelation chapter 20 and chapter 21. This created order has gone, and with it, all, um, all contamination from sin has gone as well. So an important thing that we'll, we'll look at more in the next few weeks uh, will be that during the millennial kingdom, the curse was still present on the earth, but it was rolled back. Its effects were not as strong. However, here in the eternal order, there is no presence at all of the curse because the creation which was cursed is no more. Romans 8.22 says, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers. That would include heaven and earth as the first created order. The pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit from a different order. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Uh, now here is just to show that even in Revelation, some distinctions between these heavens are made. 
For example, in Revelation 13, 13, we see the false prophet performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Now, the false prophet does not have authority to call down fire from the third heaven, such as God might have. He is simply calling it down from the atmosphere, uh, part of this present created order. Um, this is something in Ephesians 6 that we see that Satan is the, uh, he has domain over the powers of the air as well. That's the powers of the uh, first and possibly even the second, probably even the second heavens. But here in Hebrews 12, 25, and uh, Hebrews is showing, uh, well, Hebrews is trying to convince a group of Jewish believers in the first century before the destruction of the temple, not to defect from Christianity back to Judaism to avoid persecution. And so the argument generally in Hebrews is the, the lot with God is far greater than the lot with the law. So to defect back to a system of works righteousness under the law is, uh, is not superior to the system of the law of Christ, which is faith alone in Christ alone. Um, and so he is showing the superiority of Christ and the inheritance of those who are in Christ. So here in Hebrews 12, the author says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Uh, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who, uh, who turn away from him who warns from heaven. So he's speaking of the difference here between Moses and uh, Christ. Uh, Christ's warning from heaven, this warning is far superior to the warning of Moses. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, that's going to be basically the point. Um, this created order, subject to futility because of the sin of man, destined now to pass away, is shaken and passes away um, so that those things which cannot be shaken might remain. When this created order is stripped away, we see um, the other created order uh, breakthrough, essentially. <clears throat> a created order which we have already been made in the likeness of through Christ, who is of that order. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In Hebrews 9.11, uh, we read that when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. When Christ, um, as a high priest, shed his blood on earth, uh, he then took that blood to the heavenly tabernacle and scattered it there as well, making the perfect sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice, once and for all for mankind. In fact, there's pretty good evidence that um, this was after his resurrection, but before he was encountered by the group of women at the uh, at the cave, where uh, Mary showed up early 
And he said, don't touch me because I haven't yet ascended up to my father. But then later, these three women come and they all grab a hold of him. Um, they were able to touch him because he had ascended up to his father and offered this sacrifice. A priest couldn't be touched by anything unclean between having made the sacrifice and having spread the blood or sprinkled the blood on the altar. Otherwise, the sacrifice would not have taken effect. Uh, but here it says, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having it obtained eternal redemption. So the new heaven and the new earth is on the same category as the present heaven and earth, the atmosphere, outer space, all the created order that we could physically travel to if we had enough uh, time and fuel, essentially. Everything in this uh, dimension, to use a more modern term. The earth then, we see that it as well, um, equal with the heaven, uh, also passed away. That was back in uh, Revelation 20, verse 11. And so everything we see created um, on days 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 are all gone, all wiped away, all washed clean. Um, and then half of what we see on day 6, the other half having received redemption uh, from Christ, who became like man to save man, he didn't become like ape to save ape. Uh, so we of this created order are the only thing that transfers into the next because we have received a redeemer. But there was also a, uh, well, here in day one, we see the heavens and the earth as well as the waters all involved in this creation. Uh, Genesis 1 6 says, Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Waters were present from the very beginning of this creation. In fact, it was created as a liquid orb, you might say, uh, with all of the material needed for creation inside of it. Uh, but the sediments, I guess, were stripped from the water. The water remained as a solid whole while land came together from that orb. Uh, perhaps it would be better to say we had a muddy ball, and then God separated the elements and made the earth that we have now. He created the material, and then he separated the material. Uh, but here, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So on the first, or I guess on Genesis 1, the first day, when God creates the heavens and the earth, it says in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. So we've got beginning, the beginning of time. We've got heavens, space, and we've got earth, matter or material. And then um, he sends his spirit, which energizes the whole material. So that in there, we've got space, time, matter, and energy um, to basically light the fire. Um, but here in this creation, we see him dealing with waters, the heavens, and the earth, separating them from one another uh, to make these three terrains. These are the three terrains that are disappearing, and only two of them are going to be replaced as such. 
Uh, Genesis 1.9 says, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. This was on the third day. Now notice on the second day, there's no statement that this is good. That doesn't mean it wasn't good. It just means it wasn't finished yet. The creation that he began on the second day, where he is separating the heavens from the waters, um, isn't finished until day three when he separates the waters from the land. So all three of these things, all three of these separations um, are very intimately intertwined, the air, the earth, and the water. But here, the very end of Revelation 21, verse 1, we see no new sea as we would expect. We have a new heaven to replace the heaven that passed away. We have a new earth to re replace the earth that passed away but no longer any sea. Now, there are some who think that there's not going to be any water in the new creation. Um, that's not true because we do get uh, rivers of the water of life. Um, it might be a different kind of water. Uh, I think what this is basically designating is that there is not going to be a large um, collected body of water, such as we have today, which covers 70% of the earth. When the earth was created, it probably didn't cover 70%, as we'll see that there were uh, caverns of the deep that held a lot of that water. But even on day two, we see that these waters were gathered on day three. These waters were gathered together into one place to let dry land appear. And then the, these were called seas. There's no sea in the new creation. Um, but I think there's a very good reason for that. And it, before we get to that reason, I want to show you the precedent um, that, that precedes that um, reason, wherein the first creation, the creation that we see in Genesis 1, God prepared this earth to pass away. He prepared it for man to sin, not so that man would sin, but knowing that they would. He prepared a, uh, he prepared a plan to fix that but man needed to have free will to choose God of his own accord. Otherwise, love would not be love. It would be robotics, pretty advanced robotics. And so God creating something in his image with free will, um, but not like him because it would be a created creature and not a, an eternal creature, uh, would have a transitory uh, nature to it, such as man has had. And so he knew that sin would eventually come into this creation, and he prepared a plan, um, even before creating, to take care of it. And the earth was expressly created to function in God's plan of taking care of sin. In Genesis 1.16, uh, this would be on day four, we see that God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Now, keep that in mind, because when we get to the new eternal state, there is no more night. God created this, these two lights for the purpose of governing over a nighttime that would exist in this order, but not the next. He made also the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens, so second heavens there, outer space, to give light on the earth. So the reason that he created them was to shed light. Now, remember, light appeared on day one, but here on day four, we have light producers to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness 
and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Um, Genesis 1, 3, day one of creation. We see then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and that God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day or the first day. So here, Genesis 1-3, uh, we do not have the creation of light. Uh, many people say that day one, God's creative work was light. God's creative work on day one was earth, space, and time. This light or energy was not created by God because it is God. Uh, notice here, God says, let there be, let there, uh, let there exist, let it be seen light and that light is seen and it is good in first john 1 5 we see that god is light this is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you that god is light and in him there is no darkness at all now this is speaking of his righteousness but it is using an actual characteristic an actual trait of his that he is light in order to explain the less tangible uh, quality of god's righteousness light is something that we have been designed to perceive physically, uh, whereas righteousness is not something we perceive physically. It is just as true that God is perfectly righteous as it is that he is perfectly light. James 1.17 says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, he who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So God revealed himself on day one. And from, the, from day one until day four, there was light cast on this creation, but not from any created thing, but from God himself. So on day four, he creates these lights in the heaven in order to shed light on the earth in the absence of himself shedding light on this earth because his presence would not always be able to remain with man on earth because once the earth and the creation is subject to futility subject to corruption god's perfect righteousness his light cannot dwell in its midst it would contradict him and so uh, these lights were prepared in the heavens for this created order, because God would not dwell among men during this created order, but it would prepare men to dwell among him by becoming part of a different created order. In Revelation 22, verse 5, we see that new created order, in which there is no night and there is no need for any lights. It says, there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. So in God's new created order, the purpose of that will be eternal fellowship with God. The purpose of this creation was human obedience, that God would create a sentient being in his image with free will, and that its will would be conformed to his that they would rule responsibly over the creation for his glory. 
and this ultimately finds its culmination in Christ. That was the purpose of this present creation, and that purpose is transitory. Once it concludes, then there is no more reason or purpose for this corrupted creation. It will pass away, and the new creation will be brought in, but the purpose for the new creation is different than the first. The purpose for the first had a goal that could be reached at a point in time, so it needed time from the beginning. The new creation has no time quality to it because its purpose has nothing to do with time. In fact, it has the opposite. It has to do with the opposite of time, eternity. And so the new created order won't pass away, and there is no preparation built into it for the absence of God's presence with man, because the purpose of this creation is for man and God to never be separated ever again. And so the first earth was prepared for God's absence with lights in the sky. Part of the creation story, uh, in fact, every part of the creation story has some element of this preparation of the earth for God to, um, or for man to experience failure apart from God, to teach them of their dependence on him. And so just as it was prepared for his absence, we see that it was also prepared for judgment on sin. In Genesis 6, verse 12, we see uh, God dealing with sin in a cosmic way for the very first time. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them, and the, the means by destruction would be the earth. The thing that God created on day one for man to dwell would also become a means of their judgment. Genesis 6.17, we see, behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, a purpose statement, in which is the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. God using these seas that he built and that he separated from the heavens and the earth in order to cleanse the heavens and the earth. Genesis 7.10, it came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the, sec in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon earth for 40 days, and 40 nights. Um, so in essence, what God built uh, for creation, and this, this will sound a little more um, blunt than it really is, God created a bomb for man to live on that sin would cause to trigger. Uh, these fountains of the deep were prepared for the purpose of judging man, of washing them clean, and of preparing them then for the final judgment. These fountains of the great deep and the seas that were filled by them um, are not present on the new creation because there is no preparation for dealing with judgment because there will be no need for judgment in the new creation. This was something expressly prepared in this creation, but not in the next. And so in Genesis 7.20, the water prevailed 15 cubits higher and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Then it gives a list of all those flesh it says they all died. 
This is something that will be foreign completely to the new creation. Death itself has passed away. Uh, we saw that in Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15. We see it as well in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, around verse 54, I think, uh, where it says that death itself will be conquered by Christ and has been conquered by Christ. And that doesn't just mean power over death and the resurrection, but the actual vanquishing of death altogether. Death is separation. Spiritual death occurred at the time Adam and Eve ate of the apple. Spiritual death caused physical death, just as it does today. Uh, continuing in spiritual death apart from Christ is the reason that we die. And uh, when we are given uh, resurrection bodies, those resurrection bodies will never be separated from God again. There will be no uh, ability for them to die. They are connected to his life. And in Genesis 9, 11, uh, after the flood, God makes a covenant not to use the flood waters again to destroy the earth. He says, I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant, which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign for you, a covenant between me and the earth. Now we'll see God's faithfulness to his uh, promise here. Not only is he never going to flood the current creation with water, but in the next creation, he is not going to create something that can be uh, flooded with water. Uh, he is beyond faithful. Second Peter 3, 5 says, by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. We saw that in Genesis 1, through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water, Genesis 6 through 9. Um, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So that is the reason that there is no longer any sea, because the new earth will have no need for judgment. And the one of the greatest symbols of judgment that we still have present with us today, being the ocean, um, will not be there any longer either. Now, um, the fact that there is no ocean in the eternal state is also a key evidence that the eternal state is different from the millennial kingdom, because the millennial kingdom uh, makes many of its um, geographical uh, distinctions based on where the earth is uh, in relation to something such as Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 72 verses 5 through 8 says, let them fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations, those also will, will see that uh, that also makes a distinction between the millennial kingdom and the uh, eternal state. And he says, may he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his day, may the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon is no more. May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. It's speaking of the Western Sea um, on the west side of Israel here to the Eastern Sea on the east side of um, Israel, which goes down towards Persia. So we've got all the way from Persia to, um, to the Mediterranean Sea. Um, this, these are the waters that uh, will be on either side of the promised land in the Millennial Kingdom. Zechariah 14.8, again, speaking of the Millennial Kingdom says, in that day, 
living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the Eastern Sea and the other half toward the Western Sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. So the present cosmology of this earth will be altered, um, but still uh, many of the scars of previous judgments will still remain, such as the sea. But in the new creation, that won't be present at all. Thank you.